Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. So what's happening here in this story is that Jesus is almost being coronated by the people in the village in the city as king. They view Jesus as the Jewish Messiah, as the Messiah that was proclaimed in the prophets. And they see Jesus coming into the city and they start shouting Hosanna and they start shouting praises and they start quoting scripture and they start celebrating that Jesus is king. And what they think is going to happen is that they think that Jesus is here to start a a revolution. They think that Jesus is here to stage a coup because the Jewish people had been under the Roman rule for so long and that the promise of the Messiah is that the Messiah would come and create a military victory. So they thought setting the people of Israel free and kind of shooting them into the future in a way that would lead them to the greatest prosperity and wealth that the world has ever seen so that they could, from their place of wealth, then bless the world. Because that's how we often think about it as humans. Is if I had enough, if I had enough resources, then I could then go and bless the world. But up until then, I'm going to wait until I have my blessing so that I can then go bless the world. And this is what the people of Israel thought. This is who they thought Jesus was. And so as Jesus comes marching into the city on a cult, they're celebrating him and they're praising him because they think the revolutionary is here. And he's going to get things done. Now, what happens is that six days later, five days later, on Good Friday, they're no longer singing the praises of Jesus anymore. They're no longer anointing him as king, but they're yelling, crucify him, crucify him, because it's become incredibly clear that Jesus is not the Messiah whom they thought was coming to be the revolutionary that they thought was going to come and bring them peace and bring them prosperity and shoot them into this place of prosperity and power in the world that they so hoped. You see, the story of Palm Sunday is a story of how the people of Israel created an image of Jesus in their own likeness. Their imagination for what Jesus had to offer was too small. And they instead exchanged the foundation that Jesus was building for his kingdom and exchanged it with the imagination that they had for their own kingdom. And they wanted to live and rule from there. And Jesus now, by Friday, was in the way of that. And they weren't so certain that he was the promised one. And as we look at Israel, what we can also find is that we too are like Israel. We too create God in our own image. We too oftentimes have hopes and dreams and imagination for God's kingdom in our lives and the ways that we would like God to show up. And when he doesn't, we find ourselves standing with the crowd yelling, crucify him, because he's gotten in the way. But the reality is that Jesus' imagination, what Jesus was doing on Palm Sunday, is that they were right. He is the king, and he is here to establish the kingdom, and he is here to be the king of the world. It's just sometimes our imagination is way too small. And sometimes we miss that the kingdom that Jesus is founding is for everyone, and it's for all people and all places for all time. And it's not just about us and our little desires and our little likes, but that Jesus wants to meet us in our place too and transform the ways that we think about him. And so this morning what we're going to do is I want to talk about kind of and even confess 
uh, kind of publicly the ways that we as a church have created Jesus in our own image and the ways that we have even used spiritual tools and religious devices to serve our own kingdoms built in our own images in the name of Jesus well. And then what I want to do is I want to talk about how Jesus comes in and actually fulfills and is the foundation to the ways that we've misstepped throughout life and that he actually fulfills the world and our desires as the true foundation for our hearts and for our lives and for our world. And so the, the three different places that I want to look at is one, the way that we read our Bibles and how we read our Bibles to advance our own kingdom. The second place is the ways that we live our lives riddled with worry, fear, and anxiety, and how we try to maintain control in our world instead of opening it to be submitted to Christ. And then finally, I want to talk about how we work and how we believe that we have to prove ourselves constantly before God to be righteous before him. You see, we are like the people of Israel. We have an imagination of Jesus, and we think that Jesus demands certain things from us and from our world, and really he offers something completely different. So first, let's look at the Word of God. Jesus gives us his Word. It's written by his Holy Spirit. We get to have it. We get to touch it. We get to read it. We get to study it. We get to know it. And what I find is that as Christians and as we have been in conversations (laughs) as we advance through the years is that there are places in the Bible where we don't take God at his word. There are places where we like to hear from God, where we like to respond from God, we like to hear from him, and we're like, man, I want that to be true in my life. And then there's other places where we're challenged, and we don't like to be challenged. And so we're like, well, I'm just going to skip that part because that part's way too difficult, way too challenging, and I don't understand how God would ask me to do that. I don't understand how God would ask his people to live in that way. So I'm just going to miss the challenging parts, and I'm going to take the parts that make me feel comfy and cozy. And what we end up doing is we end up taking the Bible, we begin to edit it to where it becomes a word that's not made in the image of God anymore, that's not made in the image of Jesus anymore, but that's made in my own image. That's made in the image of me. Now, I don't know about you, but I start to get afraid when I start to walk around with a God that agrees with me all the time. Because if I had a God who agreed with me all the time, there wouldn't be much need for God anymore. And the world, honest, would be in a lot of trouble. Because my thoughts are lowly thoughts. My thoughts are focused on myself. My thoughts are sinful thoughts. And I do not need my God to shrink to my level. I need a God that's bigger than me. What happens is when we go through his word and when we choose to say, I'm going to study this and I'm going to receive this and I'm not going to take that, and we begin to ignore the challenge that the Bible gives us, we end up creating a version of Jesus that's in our own image that affirms us and who actually just becomes not helpful or not useful to you or to the rest of the world. We take a God who's bigger than us, who's more wise than us, who's more powerful than us, and we bring him to the human level. And what we find is that the wisdom that we begin to walk with is earthly wisdom, and it begins to crumble around us. And it begins to disappoint. And the reality is that when we walk around with God made in our own image, when we turn to dust, it will also turn to dust too. There's no substance left when we remove all the challenge and we remove all the places that we disagree with the word of God and we just take the parts that are comfortable and nice to us and say, man, that'd be really nice if. And so we create an image of God in our own image. 
when we hack up the Bible this way. And what happens is we find our lives crumbling and falling and turn to dust around us because we haven't taken God at his word. We haven't allowed our imaginations to grow to his level. Instead, we've taken what he has given us and said, he must meet me at my level. And we need to repent from this. We need to have our minds changed around this. And I believe that Jesus, as the good foundation, challenges us towards his truth. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I want to move to the second place that we kind of grow in the where we have a God made in our own image where we try to take control and we try and do life with God instead of allowing God to rule and reign over our lives as the proper king that he is. And I think we see this when our lives are riddled with anxiety, fear, and worry. Anxiety, fear, and worry, I think, are some of the greatest things that I've experienced with church people that we struggle with today. Even though Jesus said that he came and that he's overcome the world and that he's brought peace. The question is, do you know peace? Is there peace in your life? And the more that I talk with church people, the more that I'm around church people, the more I find is that we are an anxious group of people. Like, we are angsty. And we got to work through some stuff. And what I find is that if the person who is the glutton is the one who is never full from eating, and if the person who is greedy is never rich when they earn that next dollar, if that next dollar is never enough, and if the person who struggles with lust is never fulfilled at the next person they look at, then the person who struggles with anxiety and worry and fear is the person who just needs a little bit more control and will never have it. It's unfulfilling when we find ourselves filled with anxiety and fear and worry and where we will find ourselves never secure. The reality is that when I find my heart anxious and when I heart, find my heart fearful, it's because I imagine a future where God and his provision is not in it. I feel like that's one of the best definitions I've ever come across is that anxiety is when you imagine a future reality where God is not present to it. And so when I imagine a future reality where God isn't present to it, guess where my value and my purpose and my meaning must come from? It must come from others or it must come from myself. And so when you imagine the future without God, the imagination future is that my worth and my value is based upon what others think about me when I walk into a room. It's based on what I'm able to produce. It's based on what test scores I can achieve. It's based on what capacity I can carry. It's based upon what I can produce for the team. And if we're imagining our futures without God and without him being the foundation that we base our identity and our purpose and our value on, no wonder we're an anxious group of people. No wonder we're a fearful group of people. And we need to get our foundation set straight. And we need to repent and turn back to him so that we can understand that our purpose and our value and our meaning comes from him. And that we can be secure in him. But if, our, if God's not in our future, we're just left to grasp onto power wherever we can take it. And in many ways, I don't know about you, but anxiety for me feels just like a free fall. Where I'm just grasping for anything that I can hold on to. Anything that I can grab to get purpose or value or meaning into my life. And so if the one who uses the Bible for their own ends is like a person who crumbles 
and their life is crumbling around them because they don't know truth. I believe that the person who struggles with anxiety and worry and fear is the person who's in free fall, grasping for any power or security or strength that they can wherever they can find it. And it's exhausting. The final place where I believe that we go wrong and where we exchange the truth of God for a lie, where we create an idol out of Jesus and our religious, religiosity and our religious practices is in works righteousness. Specifically in the idea that I must work really hard and strive and live really right in order that God might be pleased with me. As we've been having conversations about baptism, the number of conversations I've had that I want to get clear on is that baptism in no way makes us more holy or more special or more loved or more blessed before God. But we have this imagination that maybe one of the reasons why I should get baptized is so that God could be more happy with me, that God could be more satisfied with me. And I want you to know that if you believe in Jesus and if Jesus is your foundation, he's not going to get more happier in you. He already loves you. He's thrilled with you. He's so joyful over here. He died for you. He loves you. He saw you in your darkest state. And he wants you to know that you are loved and that you're forgiven. But the problem is, is that we don't always believe it. We don't always imagine that God's kingdom is big enough for that. And we think that we need to go and be his workers. And so we go and we work really hard and we strive really hard. And we're wondering always in the back of our mind, is God pleased with me? And is God going to provide for me? And I think that this adds to our anxiety, right? Because if you never know if God's pleased with you, and you never know if God's actually going to bless you, then the security of your future is always at stake. And there's always the thing in the back of your mind is like, you need to grab for power, you need to grab for position, you need to grab for that right now so that you can feel secure and feel less anxious because you don't know if God's going to be there to back you up. I don't know about you, but if you've lived in that place, and I have it is an exhausting place to live. It's like running on a treadmill always. But the treadmill is always on. That we get on this treadmill of good works and we just hope that, God, do you see me? Do you see me running hard? Do you see me doing all this good works for you? I hope you do because, like, I really need you to show up here. And then what happens when he doesn't? We get angry and eventually we fall off the treadmill. And we say, I'm done with that, God. And we find ourselves yelling, crucify him. Because he's in the way of the kingdom that I want to build. Palm Sunday is a beautiful Sunday for confession, guys. And there's no shame around confession. Confession is just that, God, I'm broken. God, help me. God, save me. It's this realization that we need a foundation. We need a firm foundation to find our footing on because we've tried. We've tried to use the Bible to find firm foundation. and We've edited it. We've tried to find peace in Jesus, but instead we've gone our own ways and we've just said, but what if God doesn't show up? I need to make sure that I have that insurance policy in place of my own works that I can point back to and feel justified before God, that I can feel angry before God for the ways that he doesn't show up. And what I find is that when we live this way, we find ourselves just crumbling, free-falling, and weary and exhausted. Anyone with me? Anyone live this life? Anyone live this experience? The good news is that this is not the life Jesus came for us to live. The good news is that this is not what Jesus came for us to experience in relationship with him. 
I think the reason why we find ourselves leaving the church and why we find people tired of church is because this is the, the thing that they've been given and the thing that they've been told to imitate. Because if we're constantly living this way, what message are we sending to everyone else? We're sending to everyone else that going to church is about just being exhausted and weary and trying to convince God that you're good enough and that, you, that he can like you sometimes. And then maybe if you can convince God that you, he likes you, that you can get the job, you can get the girl, you can get the house, you can get the things that you really want. But the thing that we really want isn't the house. It isn't the possessions. It's actually Jesus. What we actually want is a firm foundation. Because the other foundations, the first one is crumbling. The other one gets pulled out from underneath your feet and you're in free fall. And the treadmill is always moving underneath your feet. You can never stop moving. And what we need is a foundation stone that sits still and that is permanent and that is present and that does not fade away. And the good news is that Jesus is the foundation stone that does not crumble, that stands secure and is immovable and is established forever. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking to the crowds and he's teaching to them. And he says this about his word. He says, everyone who hears my word and does the things in them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain falls and the flood comes and the wind blows and it beats against that house, but it does not fall because it has been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, they will be like the foolish man who has built his house on the stand, on the sand. The rain falls, the floods come, the winds blow, and it beats against that house and it falls with great disaster. You see, Jesus says, take me at my word and you will find peace. Take me at my word, and you will be like a wise man who is sustained and who is established so that when the rain does come, because the rain's coming, and when the wind blows, because the wind's going to blow, and when the water rises and it beats against the rock, because it will, you will find yourself secure and safe and sound in my wisdom. What I find that in the Bible, when we open it and when we say that we are humble and that God is greater and we are less, is that there's an incredible awe to the wisdom of God. And what we find in the biblical authors is that we see the authors confronted by a God who proclaims to them in Isaiah 55 saying, guess what, guys? Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. The heavens, the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And this is good news. The Bible should confront us. The Bible should be higher than our own ways. If you don't read the Bible and if you don't get uncomfortable, if you don't hear the Holy Spirit trying to transform you, trying to change you and move you by Jesus' grace, then I feel like we're not doing it right we should be confronted by a God that's bigger. We should be confronted by a God who's wiser, by a God who's stronger. That's the type of God that I need. And that's the type of God that I desire in my life. And so sometimes when I read this passage, it's kind of given to us in a way that's patronizing, to be completely honest. You know, you're going through some hard stuff in life, and it's like, his way is not your ways. His, high, his ways are higher. And you're like, that's not helpful. That's not helpful right now. But the reality is, is that God is higher. 
And God is bigger. And so we don't accept this blindly, of course, but we say that God is higher and that God is greater. And even though my circumstances around me feel like the wind is pouring down and the waves are crashing against me, I know that I will stand firm because the word of God is true and it is good and I will submit my life to him in that season even when it is uncomfortable. Amen? This is what the word of God offers us. There's an awe in just receiving the word of God and worshiping God for the wisdom that he gives us in his word. I think a situation might help us better understand this. I don't know if you guys have ever had a friend who was going through some stuff and they were making foolish decision after foolish decision, but you as their friend on the outside could see with great clarity the wisdom and truth that they needed. And so you went to that friend and you gave them a word of truth that they were unable to receive because it was going to be painful or it didn't make sense at the time. But in that state, your ways are higher, your ways are stronger, your ways are filled with truth as they go around living a life of foolishness. And you know, you just know if they would take your word, they would just take your word, that they would experience life and joy and relief from the situation that they would find themselves in. And you want nothing more than to then just take you at your word and just be like, I know it sounds crazy. I know it doesn't make sense. Just take me at your word. Just come, follow me. We say these to our friends, right? These are the same words Jesus comes to us with. As his ways are higher, as his ways are stronger, as his ways are better, he's like, just take me at my word. I know it doesn't make sense right now. I know that it feels like it's going to be painful. I know it's going to feel like it's uncomfortable. I know it's not what you want to do right now. But just trust me, come with me, follow me, and I will establish you on the rock that is my word. We need to submit ourselves and we need to realize when God speaks and when God speaks through his word that we ought to listen because he wants to establish us on the foundation that is himself. And that there is life and that there is joy and there is truth there. No matter how hard it is or how far it feels away to go get it. He's calling us to come and follow him and to enter into his joy. Now in the face of fear and anxiety and worry and uncertainty, the reality is is that Jesus is our foundation stone. And there's a summary that you can just hold on to. If you want to rock hold in the middle of your anxiety, in the middle of your fear, in the middle of I don't have control in this life, things are not going the way that I want, is Psalm 18 too. And it says this, it says, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of salvation, my stronghold. God has a lot of things in that passage. A lot of things that are about protection, a lot about things that are about provision, a lot about things that allows you to take a breath and find peace and find life and find restoration. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus invites his disciples as he's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount to critically ask the question, is what I'm having worry and anxiety about worth having worry and anxiety about? And as I worry and as I have anxiety, I find that that's a fair question. To be like, does this matter? Does this really matter? What if this doesn't happen? Is my world going to end? How am I going to feel in a week from now if this doesn't happen? And if you can look a week ahead 
And you're like, my life would be no different no matter how this thing that I'm anxious about. Like, it's good to weigh. It's good to consider. And Jesus challenges us to think that. That's where he begins in chapter 6. And so he says this. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you'll eat or about what you'll drink or about your body or what clothes you'll put on. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Which of you can add a single hour to his lifespan by being anxious? Love that one. I know that I have lost hours of sleep by being anxious, but I've definitely not added an hour to my life by being anxious. He says, and what about being anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so closes the, the grass of the field, which is alive today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, how much more does he clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious by saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Our Father, our foundation, Jesus, he knows our needs. He knows them already. And so he gives this advice in the face of our anxiety first question, is it worth being anxious about? And the answer is really no. But then the wisdom that he gives us is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is Jesus, by the way, and all of these things will be added on to you. He ends with the question of where is your sight? Where is your eyes? Where are you looking? If you're always looking at trouble, which there will always be trouble, Jesus says, take heart, there will be trouble in this world, but I have overcome the world. There will always be trouble. The question is, is where's your sight in the middle of that trouble? Is your sight on the trouble? Because if it is, it will always consume you, and you'll be crashed against the rocks. But if you're able to set your eyes on Jesus, who is the foundation, when the wind and the rains come, you'll find yourself safe and secure. And you will find yourself in a place where you are seeking, actually, after God's kingdom. Because God has work for us to do. And when we set our eyes on the kingdom of God, we're able to open our hands of control that are clutched and saying, I have to control this thing in this way. When we set our eyes not on the trouble, but on Jesus, guess what opens up? Our hands. And when our hands open up, Jesus puts things in it and he says, Go and serve my kingdom. We talked about good gifts for the last series on how God has gifted the church. He wants to put good gifts in our hands so that the kingdom of God can advance. And what I find is that when I'm involved in kingdom work and when I am serving others, I'm able to not be anxious. I'm free from my anxiety. I'm free from my fear. And I enter into the life that Jesus is calling me to. I don't know about you, but how many of you are able to serve people really well in your anxiety? Sometimes we get anxious about serving other people and it freezes us. Don't put your eyes on the trouble, but instead set your eyes on the kingdom of God. And he'll give you everything that you've been anxious about. He'll provide for your most basic needs. He'll provide in ways that you don't imagine that you don't understand yet. But he says, seek my kingdom and go and open your hands and let me lead. Come, follow me. 
Jesus has work for us to do because we are also called to be living stones like he is. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this. It says, put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants, seek after spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted the Lord and seen that he is good. As you come into him, the living stone, he is rejected by men in the sight of God, but he is precious in your sight. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house in a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. We are called to be a holy priesthood. We're called to go and serve. And we can't serve from a place of anxiety and fear, but we can serve when we set our eyes on the kingdom of God. And we can go and point people to the living stone that is Jesus, as we ourselves are called living stones by him and his grace. The final place that we can look to see Jesus as securing us completely in his foundation is in his salvation, that Jesus is the justification that we need before God, that Jesus justifies us before God through his grace, that in Jesus' death, he exchanged his perfect life for our imperfect life so that we can be in relationship with him and that we might love him, that we might follow after him, that we might be made right before God and be liked before God. This is what Jesus does as the rejected stone and as the foundation stone in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 2, 8 through 10, it says this, Because of God's great love for us, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit from this, for it's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done, so that no one can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. And he created us anew with Jesus, so that we can do the good things that he has planned for us, a long time ago. You see, you can step off the treadmill of good works because it's not about you. And it's not about what you've done, but it's instead exchanging what you've done for what Jesus has done and taking that on and putting that on that you might go and live as a living stone that has not taken on any shame because Jesus has covered you over. He's justified you before God. And what I find is that when we find ourselves on the treadmill of good works, the goal is to always justify ourselves before God so that when he disappoints us, we can tell him all the ways that we served him and all the ways that he's wrong for disappointing us. That's justification on our own terms. But that's not the way that God works. God must be justified through his son. And he makes this perfect exchange of his perfect life for our imperfect life so that we can live in relationship with him. In 1 Peter, it says this, it says, Behold, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone that is chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Jesus is our foundation stone. Jesus is the stone that takes away our shame and our guilt and justifies us before the Father. And what we need is to know the freedom of that thing, amen? Because that's where true freedom is at. If we know that we are, can stand before God and that the declaration over our lives is not guilty because he has taken it on for us, 
Think about what you could do. Think about the ways that you could serve. Think about the ways that you wouldn't be anxious anymore or fearful anymore because God's already done it. He's already nailed it to the cross and he's made a spectacle of it and he's shamed it and he's given us freedom to just go, to go and know his love, to know his grace and to give that away. Jesus wants you to know the freedom that's found in the foundation of him this morning, today. And what he wants us to do is to give up all of the ways that we have built our lives on false foundations. What I find is that there's a fundamental change that begins to happen in a person when they begin to realize that Jesus and the gift that he gives us is a mode of grace and not a mode of works. You see, when you think that you have to justify yourself before God, you believe that you've earned it and that God owes you something. But when we start to understand that we can't earn it, and that justification before God comes only by his grace, only through Jesus, only by his love for us, only by him looking at us in our worst day, in our worst moment, in our worst place, and saying, you know what? I'd die for them. I love them. You know that? Jesus has seen you in your worst day, in your worst place, and he said, I got you, and I love you, and I like you. Come, follow me, know my love, know my truth. And when you understand that Jesus has given you a gift of grace, the response is gratitude. It's gratitude and praise and thanksgiving because you know that you're not the person that you are because of anything that you've done, but because of the work that God has done in you, that it wasn't anything that you were able to muster on your own, but it was something that God, by his grace, gifted to you. And I want you to know that grace this morning. I want you to know the grace that God has given us through Jesus, the foundation stone. So what I want us to do is I want us to take a moment and I want us to take a moment to reflect. And I want us to ask the questions of where in our life is there decay? Where does it feel like life is crumbling? Where in life does it feel like we are in free fall and empty grasping? Where is it that we have found ourselves striving and just run ragged? Now, I know that's a lot, so I want you to identify like one space. One space where that's true. Now I want you to imagine Jesus, the foundation stone, being offered in place of the chaos that you feel. Imagine being placed firmly secure on him, where the waves beat against the rock and the rain falls and you remain. I want you to imagine being able to sit and rest and know that God is pleased with you and that he desires to provide for your needs. And if you need someone to pray with you, I want you to tap a neighbor or come find me during the response space and we can pray for you in the ways that you can invite Jesus into your life or into places of your life that you need him now. I want you to know that the invitation to accept Jesus and to receive his love and his grace is always available and it's here this morning. And that Jesus is the true foundation stone that we really yearn for. And Jesus is the true king. Even though they didn't understand who Jesus was, they didn't get that part wrong. Jesus is the king, and he brought the kingdom. And it's here, and it's available now. And he is the foundation stone that we get to be built upon. And there is life and joy there. So as we come, we're going to respond. So if the worship team wants to come up, we're going to respond in worship. 
in awe and wonder of who our God is and that he's greater than us and that his ways are higher than our ways, that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We're going to praise him for that. We're going to thank him for that. We're going to ask for his wisdom to come into our lives and into our situations and that he would become the foundation stone in our lives in every area. And as we take communion, we're going to be reminded that Jesus gave his life for us so that he could be our foundation stone that keeps us secure. And as we enter into this space of reflection, I want to leave you with this verse again from Psalm chapter 18. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. You are my stronghold. Dear Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and we thank you for your truth and we thank you that you are the rock that we so desperately need. God, I pray that you'd meet us in the places of our lives where there's crumbling. I pray that you'd meet us in the places of our lives where there's free fall. And God, I pray that you'd meet us in our lives and that you'd invite us to step off the treadmill and find rest in you. God, we love you and we thank you and we give you praise. For you are our foundation. In your name we pray. Amen.